This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. This morning, before Pastor Rich comes, I just want to lead us in a quick word of prayer, asking God's blessing on our graduates, but then also asking uh, God's blessing on uh, our sermon this morning. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for all that you do, for how you always um, find the moments in our mess to pull us into a moment of glory. And Father, this morning, some of us have come from weeks that are just can be described in no other way as than a mess. But Lord, we find ourselves in your presence here and are so excited to see your glory fall upon us. So Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts, you would open our ears, you would open our minds, that we might hear your truth. And Father, for these graduates that we just honored here this morning, we just ask that you would, as they continue to take their next step uh, professionally, Lord, that you would guide their steps in the right classes, you would surround them with the right friends, you would put them in the right dorm rooms and the right neighbors and, and the right opportunities to not only be encouraged themselves, but also to share your light in each and every place they go. Lord, we thank you for them and for what you have done in their lives already and what you will continue to do in the future. So Lord, we take all these things before you. We ask that you would just be with us here this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Hey, welcome into our brand new message series called Just Jesus. We're going to spend the entire summer doing a deep dive into a book of the Bible we call Galatians. And if you're online with us, just let us know you're here by typing the word Galatians in the chat. That'll kind of open the conversation between us and you. Uh, actually, Galatians is a letter written by a man named Paul. And when Paul wrote this, he wrote this at white heat. I mean, Paul was super ticked off when he wrote this letter. Like, if you think the Bible is boring, um, you're going to hear some stuff over the summer that, that you know, you might want to cover your ears in a couple places. Um, the Bible is just full of real, normal, active life. And Paul wrote this super angry. And as we walk into what it what it means and what he was angry about, it's going to help you understand better like who God is and what God wants to do in your life and through your life and what God thinks about you and what God thinks about the people who are around you. So that's the letter to the Galatians. And when Paul wrote this, this was a letter that was written as a response to something that was going on in people's lives. He wrote this as a response, and you do that, right? You respond every day to people or events in your life. When something affects you, you respond. Like when the boss criticizes your work, you respond. When your spouse critiques your communication skill set, you respond. Whether you make or don't make the sports team, you respond. When your car breaks down halfway to work, you respond. When the server or the barista gets your order wrong at Starbucks, you respond. You respond to things every single day that happen in your life that in one way or another affect you. In fact, for the past, I don't know, 12 months, you've been living a life of response to a pandemic that has changed almost everything about your life. You know what it means to respond in one way or another. But what you don't always do is think about how about your response or be intentional with your response, right? Sometimes responses just happen. Like when I was in seminary, I remember a day my roommate was walking up the steps. And I knew, I heard him coming back from class. I saw him through the window and he's coming up the steps in our dorm. I thought, 
I'm going to scare the pants off him. Like when he gets to the top of the steps, I'm going to scare him like crazy. And so I'm hiding around the corner. He's whistling, you know, he's got books in his arms. He comes around the corner, and I jump out like a freak. And, Wah! and he looked like an octopus because he had things flailing everywhere. His response was so radical and so on thought that one of his tentacles... His arm hit me so hard in the face, it almost broke my nose. I mean, that was not a measured, I thought, through this type of response. It was just a reactionary, emotional response. And so sometimes, like you and I do the same, right? You respond to things, not intentionally, but emotionally. Listen, the, this letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote is both a, an emotional and yet very, very intentional response. Paul took time to think about what he was writing, and what he wrote was very intentional to the original readers, but also to you and me today. So, so this letter is very well thought out, uh, but it was only written, it was only written because of a response that happened earlier in Paul's life. So this letter that is a response was only written because of an earlier response to something that happened in Paul's life. And it's that earlier response I want us to walk into today because that will help us understand the letter that he wrote and why he responded with pen and ink like he did in this letter. So let's begin by allowing me to introduce you to the man who wrote the letter. Well, better yet, let's just allow him to introduce himself. He opens the letter with these words. He writes... Paul, an apostle. Now, Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles, right? There were 12. Go ahead, just go ahead and name them for me. Yeah, me too, right? It's okay. I can't name them. I can't spell half of them, so you're all okay. So, Paul was not one of the original 12, and he wasn't the guy that was voted in when Judas took himself out. Paul was a little bit later. In fact, when Jesus was alive, Paul wasn't even a disciple of Jesus. In fact, Paul was like the opposite of a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and Paul starts this letter out by saying, hey, I am an apostle. We're going to get into all that in a moment. But he calls himself an apostle, then he clarifies it by writing these words. Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul opened every one of his letters this way. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle sent by God to do what God's calling me to do. So Paul opened all of his letters the same way. But this one, this feels different. There's a bite in this one. As you dig into this, there's intensity. There's, there's, a, there's a sting when he writes in this letter. But Paul starts us out not just by putting a name tag on and says, you know, hello, my name's Paul. I'm from Tarsus. Where are you from? Paul starts out by saying, hey, I'm an apostle. And by the way, no man, no group of men named me this. This is God's idea, not mine. I wouldn't have come here if it wasn't for God. This is all on God. So he clarifies very, very intentionally who he is. Like he says, hey, you want to check my credentials? They go to the very top. When you're done looking through everything, it'll end with God. Because he's the one that called me into this. And Paul, this is so important to Paul, he spends the entire first chapter saying, this is who I am. He spends half of the next chapter saying, this is who I am. 
And then of the four remaining chapters, there are chunks in every one saying, this is who I am. Something about his identity was so important to communicate and convey in this letter that he included it throughout the entire letter. If it's that important to, to Paul, then it must be important for us to understand when we read it. So let's go back and find out who Paul was. So Paul, the man, was born between the first year A.D. and 5 A.D. It's a long time ago. And he was born in the region of Cilicia in the town of Tarsus. Now today that's like southeast Turkey, to give you some geography. Some of you are like, doesn't help. It's just somewhere over there. Okay, I, I get it. The province of Cilicia was a Roman territory, which means it was under Roman rule and under Roman protection. They operated under Roman law and lived by Roman customs. And it also means that anybody born in any wet area of Cilicia was also a Roman citizen by birth. Regardless of what your family heritage was, if you're born in the Roman province, you were a Roman citizen. Now hold on to that because that will be important later in Paul's life. So Tarsus was the capital city of the region called Cilicia. So Tarsus was a major city. Tarsus um, was on the Sidnus River. So there's this river that flows from the upper Mediterranean inland, and about 10 miles inland in, on this river called Sidnus was Tarsus. This is the same river that Cleopatra uh, would, would sail up when she was going to have her meetings with Mark Antony uh, in Tarsus. This is the same city that, that brought merchants from all over the world to gather, and they liked it so much. There were so many raw resources around them. It was such a great trade route that this is where a lot of merchants from around the world made their living, and so they made it their home. And they also invested their money in this same town, especially in the form of education, higher education. In fact, when you go back and read some of the early historians, they tell us that Tarsus was not only equal to but oftentimes they'll say higher than cities like Athens and Alexandria in their higher education system. The, the um, I'm going to say it in French, the bibliothèque, the library in, in Tarsus boasted over 200,000 books with a whole lot of other scrolls about scientific discovery and study. Tarsus was a major player in, the, in this section, in this time in history. So this is where Paul was born, into this very highly educated, um, very diverse, very wealthy, um, very well-known city. And that was his culture for the first 10, 12, 14 years of his life. And although his family lived 575 miles away from Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish capital, even up in this Roman province, his family was purely Jewish. In fact, his dad was a Pharisee. And here's what that means. Paul, how many of y'all thought your dads were strict? My kids aren't here. My, my son's helping out with kids' ministry this morning, so I can ask that and not have to worry about a hand being raised from my family. This means dad, his dad was really strict. As a Pharisee, he believed that the law of God was the law of every moment of their lives. In fact, he would have been so strict that a Pharisee's family, they would follow the letter of the law to the T. 
and anybody that didn't, anyone who, because non-Jews didn't follow the, the Jewish law, right? God's law. Um, and Jews who were a little bit more lax didn't follow the whole law. And so in a, in a Pharisee family, they would look at those people as undesirable and unworthy. Unworthy of their time and unworthy of God's love. So Paul grew up in a family and in a system that was very racist and very much a bigoted family. Because anyone who wasn't following the Jewish law to the letter of the T would not get a nod of approval in any way. In fact, you would get the nod of non-approval from Paul growing up. Now, at some point in Paul's life, probably when he was 12 or 14, he was shipped off to Jerusalem to tutor under and learn under the great Gamaliel. Now, that may not be a name that you know, but every good Jew in the world back in that day knew, knew Gamaliel. He was like the rabbi of rabbis. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the Pharisee who wrote the book and started a school for one of the major branches of the Pharisees. Uh, this is who, like Gamaliel, this is who the Jews had, like his, his podcast on the top of their playlist. This is the guy they're all following on, on Instagram, and, and this is the guy. And so when Paul was 12 or maybe 14, he went to study under Gamaliel as his personal mentor and rabbi. It would be like you, like when you're 10 or 12, having Michael Jordan as your personal basketball coach every day of your life. Or Steve Jobs um, as your personal tech advisor every day of your life. Or like having Kylie Toussaint as your voice coach. Right? Every day of your life. This was, this was Paul's experience. He gets the very best of the best. In fact, this is why later in, in other writings he would say, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like the, the cream of the crop rising up in the Jewish ranks. And this is something very interesting about Paul, too, as we talk about his life. Remember, Paul was only a few years younger than Jesus. Let that sink in. This will blow your mind, right? Because you think about Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He's out there, you know, killing it for Jesus. Yeah, he was killing it because of Jesus for a long time. Paul, think about this. Paul, while he's rising up in the ranks of Jewishness, Jesus was standing against the ranks of Jewishness. You know, not against Jewishness because Jesus was a good Jew, but the leadership and what they had made it. Remember, Paul, as, as, he's, as he's being taught and, and, and under Gamaliel and becoming a Pharisee among Pharisees, he's watching everything Jesus did. Every time Jesus made a move, Paul knew about it. Paul was probably one of the ones checking out the miracles, going to listen to this radical rabbi teach. He's maybe one of the ones reporting back to the upper, the upper crust of leaders, hey, Jesus said this, hey, Jesus just did this. Paul was right in the mix of everything that Jesus was doing, especially when Jesus traveled back into and around the area of Jerusalem. Everything you and I read about in the Gospels telling us about Jesus, Paul was already privy to. Paul may have stood at Jesus' trial. Paul probably stood and watched Jesus being nailed to the cross. It's about time you get your due, you criminal. Paul would have heard the rumors and the reports of the, of the resurrection and said, we're going to make up a story. 
That is, his followers came and stole the body. Paul was one of those guys as a contemporary of Jesus. And, And he hated everything about Jesus. Because as a good Pharisee, as a Pharisee among the Pharisees that said, we've got to follow every letter of the law. He would look at Jesus as this radical rabbi blowing up everything that they stood for. Now, some of you I know are thinking right now, but wait, wait a minute, Rich. Didn't God give them the Jewish law? Yes. God gave the Jews the law. But what the Jewish leaders did is they took the law, they say, hey, I'll take this law, and they turned it into 10 or 15 other little laws. And they made the Jewish law into a whole list of do's and don'ts that were never, they were man-made, not what God ever intended them to be. And so while Jesus came fulfilling and living by every one of God's perfect law, he saw all the man-made laws just getting in the way of, of these people that the that, 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 Pharisees and other religious leaders said, hey, you are not good enough. God could not, should not, would not ever love you. You're dirt. And Jesus is like, I don't think that. I made you. And you're amazing. And all these man-made laws, they just get in the way of what I've come to tell you, that God does love you. And God wants to be in a relationship with you. Paul couldn't stand the fact that Jesus stood against everything that they believed. I mean, look at Jesus, what he's doing. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's he's walking around with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is is breaking all of their laws. You know, Jesus didn't even wash his hands the right way. They had a law for that. Left hand, right hand, pour the water, left hand again. Jesus doesn't even, oh, oh, for Pete's sake, he's touching a leper. Paul hated Jesus and what he stood for. It's no wonder that when Jesus was finally gone and out of the way, that Paul led the charge in wiping out the followers of Jesus. What Paul didn't realize was that a movement had started that him and anyone else could never stand against. This is the beginning of Paul's career. So all this kind of just drove Paul crazy. And it all started, it really began to reach ahead when a man named Stephen was being stoned to death. Some of you may remember this. Some of you remember the name Stephen, the first Christian martyr that we know about from Scripture. So remember last week when we were gathered for worship together, there was, um, we talked about the fact that after Jesus was you know, crucified, buried, raised from the dead, hallelujah, and then ascended back to heaven, his followers took over what he had started, and they started doing the same things Jesus had done in preaching and teaching about Jesus, and this again made the religious leaders super, super, super angry. And so they began to arrest him. Like we talked last week about when Peter and John, two of Jesus' original 12 apostles, they arrested Peter and John because they were teaching about Jesus. And they bring them in, um, they throw them in jail for a night, bring them in front of the, the, the Jewish leadership the next morning. They say, whose name were you, you know, teaching in and doing miracles in? They're like, the name of Jesus, the only name that saves, the only name that works. And they're like, okay, we forbid you from this moment on to ever, ever, ever preach, teach, or do anything in that name, the name of Jesus. And Peter and John were like, okay, you can say that all day long. 
Like, just keep saying it, but we're not going to do that because we know what we know. We know what we've seen. We know what God has called us to. We know what we're supposed to do. And we're going to obey Jesus rather than obeying you. So keep talking, but we're going to be walking. And, and they, they, they didn't have any choice but let them walk away. Um, so, so Stephen was another follower of Jesus, same time frame, who God was using. And he wasn't an apostle. He was, a, he was like you and me. He's like a regular guy. He was just out doing his thing. And he was just teaching about Jesus. And God was using him to do miracles and wonders and, and you know, open his mouth. And that, the word Jesus kept coming out. And so this made the religious leaders, you know, even more angry. And so they arrested him. And they start questioning him. And his answers to them made him so furious that it took Stephen. They drug him out out of town. And they stoned him to death. And Luke, who recorded that for us, says that standing there overseeing, approving the death of Stephen was a young man named, guess what? Saul, or Paul, right? Same guy, he went by his Saul to later change it to Paul. Yeah, so Saul was right then in the mix of it. He was the guy overseeing the stoning death of Stephen. And from that moment on, he began breathing out murderous threats against the people called the way, the followers of Jesus. From that point on, he began to terrorize the church. He made it his life goal to tear down and break open and destroy everyone who followed Jesus. He would round up Christians, throw them in jail, put his voice on the vote, put them to death. This was Paul. And all that time, he was building his reputation. He was rising up in, in, in being recognized by the Jewish leaders. He even got letters from the high priest to travel to a major city called Damascus where he heard about that some Christians, uh, they were Jews who were now following Jesus up in the synagogues in Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, that's when everything began to change. So he's going on his way to Damascus. In fact, if you're, if you're online with us this morning, type the word Damascus in the chat. Keep, keep, keep on focus with us. The Damascus experience, the Damascus response is the response that God hopes you will have in your life. So Damascus was 155 miles from Jerusalem, way up north. It would have taken 10 days, probably two full weeks for Paul and his soldier companions, his guards, to make that trip on foot. And so they're walking there, you know, get up there uh, and round up these Christians to put them in jail and have them killed. And they get within view of the city. They get kind of close. And you know, when you're driving, how many of you ever driven to the beach? And you get, you know, you're still a few miles out, however far it is, and you can look over the horizon, and you see, like, the blue of the sky and the blue of the ocean just kind of mingle together, right? Just within view. When they're just drawing close, getting within view of the city of Damascus. And I can imagine Paul, he's probably going over the plan with uh, his, his guards. Like, hey, you, you kick in the doors. But you, you take your men, you secure the perimeter, but y'all just let me do the tying. And then it happened. Listen to this. I'm going to jump in, in the book of Acts. I'm going to jump into chapter 9. Just read along on the screens. Follow along. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Now, later when Paul was retelling this story to a group of leaders in front of him, he said the men that were with him, they actually heard the voice, but didn't understand the language. This was a message that was given directly to Paul. Verse 8. So Saul, or Paul, got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Well, this is not what Paul expected. This wasn't the plan, right? The plan was to go marching into Damascus, showing off some power, showing off a little muscle, you know, got the guards with him, go in some pomp, a little bit of circumstance, you know, a little bit of glory, unfurl the banner you know, of his name in front of him. The great Saul is approaching. He's important. He's doing stuff back in Jerusalem. Uh, everybody knows about him. He was supposed to go in high and mighty. What a difference going in being led as a blind man. Being a blind man meant a lot to the Jews. Because if you were stricken with blindness, or you were deaf, or you were lame, or any other sickness, Jews believed that that was because God was punishing you for some sin in your life. So here comes Saul or Paul, you know, ready to go in and take captives. But he finds himself being made lower than the people he's always respected. But you think about this for a moment. Paul still had a lot going for him. This is a moment of, of response in Paul's life. This is a very, very pivotal moment because even without his sight, Saul still had power, still had the guards, still had the letters, still had authority. He still had time, and especially, he still had his reputation. Like, if anything, this experience could have made him even more angry and more vengeful and more determined and more purposed than ever before. And if he would have responded to this Damascus Road event in that vein, you and I would not be talking about him this morning. You may read his, his name somewhere as a mere footnote in the history of the church. But because he responded like he did, he became a leader in a movement that changed the world. So here's what happened. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him Ananias in a vision, saying, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, remember this. Before he kicked Saul out completely, he really thought he was serving God by doing everything that he was doing. He thought it was his duty to wipe out these people who were, who were blaming, he could blame as kind of sullying the name of his God. But this crisis of faith has now happened. Saul has seen Jesus for who Jesus really is. And in this act of surrender, he's in this house praying. So Jesus said to Ananias, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he came here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all 
who call on your name. Like, so the moment Saul's feet crossed the city gate, the city knew about it. Like, I think even before Saul got there, there were probably some messages being transmitted like, hey, Saul's on his way. He's coming here. The good Jews are like, it's about time. Get these rebels out of here. They're a bunch of hippies. Get them out. And, and, and here's, here comes um, Saul. Like, and all the Jesus-fearing Jews are like, oh my gosh, our lives are at stake. Pick up what we can and let's get out of town. They were so fearful of him. Now, Ananias gets this, gets this message from Jesus. Hey, go over to where Saul is. Here's his address. He's praying. He's waiting for you. I told him you would come by for tea today, right? And, and he's like, whoa, Lord, this guy's got this reputation for good reason. He's here to kill people like me. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Did you hear what he said? He's my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. This was new for them. The Gentiles are everybody who's not Jewish. The Gentiles are everyone Paul's hated his whole life. The Gentiles are the people he battled against. The Gentiles were the unworthy. The people who God should and could never love. And now Jesus said, I've just done something in Saul's life, and I'm making him my mouthpiece to the people he detests. He's going to suffer a lot for me. That was his job description. Verse 17. When Ananias went to the house and entered it, and don't you believe his hands were trembling a little bit? Like, I'm not sure. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. Like, Saul, just to make sure you understand, that was Jesus, right? It was Jesus on the road. I'm, I'm on his team, right? Don't, don't, don't jump up and, you know, kill me. Jesus has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And this was Paul's response. Immediately, he began preaching and teaching in the Jewish synagogues and in Damascus, uh, in Damascus, arguing with and trying to convince the Jews there that Jesus really is the Messiah. And they must have been so confused, like, aren't, aren't you the guy? Is there another Saul coming, like, tomorrow? Like, aren't you the guy that came to arrest us, the, the Jesus people were saying? Aren't you the guy that came, was coming here to tell us, good Jews, that we were right? Like, do you have a twin brother somewhere? Like, you know, they were confused by this because the guy that came to wreak havoc is now preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. They're looking like, like, like you must be crazy, right? Hey, guess what? When you respond to God showing up in your life, people are going to look at you like you lost it. I knew Lynn yesterday. But today, she's a Jesus freak. By the way, Lynn's a Jesus freak. Way to go, Lynn. You should be a Jesus, right? People are looking at you. Let them look and let them listen and let them see and let them know God has done something in your life. You are not the same person you were yesterday or last week or last month. Hallelujah, right? You're a new person. You're a new creation. There's a new normal for you now. and It is following Jesus. Let them think you're crazy. And lead them to be crazy too. 
Jesus wants to then use you. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Gosh, there's so much good stuff in here. Let them think you're crazy. Let them see when you respond to Jesus, they're going to have that reaction to your response. It's okay if they do. Listen, Paul faced the same thing for 12 years. Let that sink in. 12 years. Paul went into training, preaching and teaching in Damascus and over across the border in Arabia and in Tarsus, his hometown. And early in that time frame, early, early, early in those 12 years time frame of his training, he went back to Jerusalem. And I want you to weigh that out for a moment. Paul went back to Jerusalem. Online family, type in the chat, just back to Jerusalem. Question mark exclamation point. Saul went back to the epicenter of his old life. This is where he had trained. This is where he was commissioned. This is where his network of people and power lied. This was home. This was family. This was rank and position and purpose. Everything that mattered to Saul started in Jerusalem. Paul, Saul, went back to Jerusalem where everything mattered until now. Because now Saul was different. And the things that, that took up so much space in his mind and his purpose in life back then, he said, he said this, he said, I count them all garbage now compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Like, that's no little statement. Paul had everything going for him. He was high and mighty and powerful. He was the next, next big thing in the whole Jewish world. And he said, all that is trash compared to knowing Jesus. I just wonder this morning how much trash you need to take out of your life to know Jesus for all he's worth. Just asking the question, not pointing fingers. So he goes back to Jerusalem where everything was, was going to now be different. And, and it was hard for him. Paul, his response on the road to Damascus resulted in the loss of everything he'd worked for, his position and his power, his prestige. And he said, I, I don't miss it. Not a bit. I'm glad it's gone. I've gained something so much more valuable than everything I've ever lost. See, Paul discovered that it wasn't about the rules wasn't about the, the rituals or even his religion. Instead, it came down to just one thing. Just Jesus. In fact, online family, just type in the chat, just Jesus. Paul's response was very intentional. He had three days to sit and think about it when he's not eating or drinking anything blind. You know, he's like, which way am I going to go with this? This big major thing just happened in my life. I can be angry or I can surrender to God. He surrendered to God, and that made every difference in his life. He, he could have, you know, it made it such a huge difference, but it didn't, didn't make him wake up every day in paradise, like, oh, yeah, you don't have to torture people anymore. Woo, my life's going to be a lot easier now. In fact, now the roles were reversed. It got harder. Like, when he got to Jerusalem, the religious leaders are like, what happened to you, man? It used to be so much fun. You used to, used to be one of us. You're not a bit like us anymore. And, and the Jewish or the Christian leaders, like the apostles, like, I don't trust this guy. He went back. He had nobody that trusted him until later. One guy named Barnabas. We'll hear about him another day. So he goes back, and all of a sudden now, 
he's, he's kind of a, a, a cast off from everybody. He was, he was so, he was so good at what he did, he just stirred up trouble everywhere he went. Follow Paul to the book of Acts. Like every city he goes to, a riot breaks out. Like Paul, the riot chaser. He just goes and people go crazy because he's so intensely sharing the name. Have y'all started any riots lately at work? At school? Walmart? I don't mean go start riots. That could sound really, really bad, right? But are you living so passionately for Jesus that people are even taking notice of him in your life? Of the response you've made for him if you've made one? Everywhere he goes, riots break out. And every town he went to, people rose up and wanted to kill him. I mean, Paul now has a terrible, you know, hard, hard life. Do you know that for the sake of Jesus, Paul was flogged, beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, and left for dead, all these things numerous times? It was Paul's perseverance, however, that opened the door for Gentiles, non-Jews, to hear and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul carried the message of Jesus further than any other person in the early church. He planted more churches than anyone else ever did. And more than anyone else, God used Paul to shape the theology of those of us today who follow Jesus. So Paul's response has impacted your life, not just the people immediately around him. Listen, even if you're here or online and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, Paul's response on the road to Damascus has influenced your life because what Paul wrote shaped the world you live in. Christianity changed the world. And Paul is a huge part of that. In fact, when you read the New Testament, which, which really helped change the world, even if, even if you don't believe in the Bible, and by the way, being a follower of Jesus means you believe and obey the Word of God. Jesus said that. If you love me, you obey my commands. You can't have those two separated. But even if you don't read the Bible, believe the Bible, uh, what Paul wrote, the letters he wrote, and the theology he put in there helped shape this country and everywhere else in the world. Of all the things you respond to on a daily basis, the most important response that you'll ever make is when God shows up in your life. And how you respond to him matters. You can ignore him. You can even argue with him. One change the fact that he loves you. But you will miss what he wants to do in your life and through your life. God took Paul, the most unlikely person ever, and used him to transform the world. Of the New Testament, about a third of the content was written by Paul. And that is still changing lives today. If, Paul, if, if God can take a man like Paul, the most unlikely candidate to change lives for Jesus ever, and I wonder what Paul, what God can do for you. To help you figure that out, let me ask you about the weekly ask. The weekly ask is not something we ask you to go home and think about. It's something we want you to take home every single time we gather and put into practice and do. And this morning, there are three weekly asks for you. Number one, answer this question. How has God shown up in your life and how did you respond to it? Like, don't just think about it, but write it down, journal it, type it, share it with a friend, get with somebody and say, you know what? God really moved in my life, you know, last year, last month, last week, the last hour, whenever it was, and talk to somebody about it and, and talk about, hey, here's how I responded to it. I kind of blew it off 
or I, I think I'll respond to it later, but I just still haven't. And just talk through that. How has God respond, shown up in your life? How have you responded to it? Number two, find someone who responded to God and that response made a positive impact in your life. And tell them that. Write them a note. Text them. Take them out for coffee. And tell them, hey, I know that at some point in your life you responded to God and your response to Him has really made a difference in my life. I just wanted to thank you for responding like you did. So thank someone whose response impacted you. Number three, make a plan. Literally make a plan for the next time God shows up about how you're going to respond. Talk about it with your family or maybe your friends over lunch someday. Maybe go out today and say, you know what? I know that God's going to move at some point in my life. When he does, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be so ready. I'm going to be prayed up, read up, and ready. When God moves, this time, I'm going to give my life to him. This time, I'm going to go talk to people he tells me to go talk to. This time, I'm going to do it. So make a plan. Be very, very intentional about what you are going to do in response to God. And listen, here's, here's the thing. Um, if you've got kids up at Crew, our kids' ministry, your kids, the stuff we're going to talk about in Galatians is really too deep for them. So throughout the summer, they're going to talk about a very small portion of Galatians called the Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. In fact, they're starting it today. They're memorizing it. They come home singing some really crazy songs. But as parents, this is your chance to help prepare your kids to respond to God as he moves in their lives. Like, so it's not a real talking point. The talking point every weekend we meet with your kids is going to be the fruit of the Spirit. Ask them what they learned about. You know, it's not bananas, apples, coconuts, and strawberries. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things found in Galatians 5.22. So make sure you're talking about that with your kids. Hey, so I told you right off the start that this, this um, letter called Galatians was written as a response to something that happened in people's lives. What happened? Like, and why did Paul respond with such passion and anger? And um, why did he do what he did? Well, that is something for the next time we gather. But what I do know is this, is that God shows up in your life every single day. And how you respond does make a difference. And maybe today is a day that you need to begin responding to him. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.